The book of Daniel is really a set of stories, narratives about what happened when the Jewish exiles were taken out of a country, their country, Israel, where there were established cultural institutions, methods of worship, ways of thinking that supported the biblical God. And they were taken captive to a place called Babylon in modern-day Iraq, where it wasn't like that at all. All of their cultural institutions, all of their ways of thinking, none of those things existed in Babylon. Babylon was a pluralistic society. They believed in many gods. They worshipped and acknowledged many gods. And they worshipped and acknowledged many different ways of thinking and many different ways of living. And all were equally accepted. Does it sound like anything you know? Maybe I'm the only one that's making a connection between what they experienced in Babylon and what we live in today. A pluralistic society where everyone's point of view is equally validated and has to be respected no matter how bizarre, no matter how out of line or immoral it may be. The Israelites were dropped into the middle of Babylon and they believed in the one true God and they had to learn how to function in a society where no one else was believing the things that they believed in. They were living by faith in a very, very secular world. Daniel chapter 5 is one of those stories. And if you want to remain standing, you can. If you need to be seated, you certainly may. I'm going to read the whole chapter, uh, so I don't want to force you to stand any longer than you can. Daniel chapter 5 in the New King James Version says this. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. And while he tasted wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and the silver vessels which his father or his, uh, not necessarily his, his, his uh, biological father, but his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. And they drank from them and praised, they toasted the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened, and his knees knocked against each other. And the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. And the king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing... And tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck. And he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, I want to pause and just paint the picture for a moment. The third ruler in the kingdom, you're thinking, well, why, why wouldn't Belshazzar make Daniel the second ruler in the kingdom? Well, it's because Belshazzar and his father were co-reigning together at this time. And his father was out of the city uh, on a battle campaign, as we'll see in a moment. And Belshazzar was the son, and he was stationed in the capital city of Babylon. So the, the furthest that Belshazzar could promote somebody is to third, third place in the kingdom. So he says, whoever shows me the interpretation, I'm going to reward him greatly and make him the third ruler in the kingdom. Verse 8, now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled, his countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. The queen, the queen mother, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. So they're having this big party, and the queen shows up. And the queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Don't let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him, this man. 
And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him the chief of the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation." Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not give the interpretation of the thing. Now I have heard that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself. He says, you can keep all of your gifts and rewards and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that your father, uh, because of the majesty that, uh, your, that he gave him, all people's nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. And they fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all of this. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. And they, they have brought the vessels of the Lord's house before you. And you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you praised and toasted the gods of silver and gold, the bronze and iron and wood and stone, which don't see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him. And this writing was written, and this is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. This is the interpretation of each word. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a, a, a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning Daniel that he should be third ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. You may be seated. It's always been fascinating to me how some of the words and phrases from the Bible, especially the Old Testament, get carried over into the vocabulary that we use every day. This chapter contains maybe one of the most famous of all, the handwriting on the wall. We hear it all the time. We hear it, and it's not even remotely connected to Daniel chapter 5, but it's used to signify that, and we all know what it means, that something is impending, and that there is a sign of things to come we call it, when, when there's a situation like that, you'll hear them say, well, the handwriting is on the wall. I want to minister tonight from this chapter uh, about when God says it's time. When God says it's time. You know, there's not going to be very long and the Lord's going to say it's time. The Lord is going to decide that it's time for him to return and to rapture his church. The Lord is going to decide that it's time to start wrapping things up once and for all. And the scripture says that no man knows the day or the hour, but there's going to come a day and an hour when the Lord says it's time. 
I want to talk for a little while about a few things. I want to talk to you about the city of Babylon, the party that they were having, the party crasher, Daniel, and the writing on the wall. I want to look at that city of Babylon because to understand what's going on here in Daniel chapter 5, you almost need a little bit of a history lesson, almost an archaeology lesson, to know exactly the context that this chapter occurs in. Babylon in those days was the capital of the world, you could say. It was the most powerful city in the world. It was probably the most populated city in the world. Nothing else in the known world rivaled Babylon, the great city. Babylon was heavily fortified with more than a hundred towers. It had a moat surrounding it. And it had a system of double walls that surrounded the entire city. And they weren't just any walls. These walls were regarded by everybody to be impenetrable. You could not get through the walls of Babylon. The innermost ring of walls, just on its own, were known to have been over 20 feet thick. And there was no siege weapon in the ancient world that was able to penetrate walls that thick. And when you have walls that thick, and a moat surrounding the city, and over a hundred towers so that it's very difficult for anyone to lean a ladder up against the wall and go over the wall because you have towers everywhere that can take care of that business. It's easy to look at your city and say, there's no way that anybody could ever conquer the city of Babylon. What's more, even if you had an army that surrounded the city and tried to starve them out, the city of Babylon was known in those days to have up to 20 years of food reserves stored away to where if you surrounded the city, you're going to have to wait an awfully long time in order to starve them out. There's a weak point. The weak point is the point that the Persians found. The river Euphrates ran right through the middle of the city of Babylon. And that's how the Persians got in. They dammed up the Euphrates River, waited for the water to dry, and then they went in under the walls where the river canal was, the riverbed was, and that's how they took Babylon. You can see, though, how Babylon was seen to be a completely fortified, very high and mighty type of location how they would have been very, very confident in themselves. Daniel chapter 5 opens. We just hit the ground running. And you see this young man named Belshazzar. And they're throwing a party. And we read about the details of the party, and we'll get to that in a second. But why would they even, why are they having a party like this? And this is what, this, I'm just kind of painting the picture a little bit tonight, if that's okay. They're in this heavily fortified city. Why are they having, why do, we, why do we learn about this party? Why is this part, why are the details of this party significant? And the party that they're having is significant because we are looking, each and every one of us, we're hardwired to look for significance. We want to be significant. Every human being in this building right now, we desire significance. We want to be remembered. We want to leave our mark. We want to have a legacy. And the party that they're throwing in Daniel chapter 5 tells us something about that deep human need for significance. There's a place deep inside all of us where we have to battle insignificance. And some of the things that we use to fill that void when we start feeling insignificant and we start needing to gain significance is, and, I'll, and I'm not going to go too far into these, we could, but I'm not going to. Romance, sensuality, we use that to fill our need for significance. Creativity, we may, uh, through creative means, produce a work of art, produce uh, some kind of literature, produce a structure that's going to outlast us, and that can fill our need for significance. Uh, and then other times, religion. 
where we appeal to the gods like they were doing can fill our, and we feel, when we feel like we are doing the will of the gods as the Babylonians would, they would start to be filled with significance and they would think, well, I'm doing something that matters. I'm doing something that's pleasing. And all three of those things are present in this party, this feast. This was a huge party, huge party. All the nobles and all of the elite are there. It's in the palace. You know there's the best food. Amen? The most engaging entertainment. The setting is right. It's in the capital city. Here's what we leave. We see that not only does the king have his wives there, but it also says that they're bringing in the concubines, which tells me that this is a certain kind of party. The party has unusual energy, urgency. It's a very wild party. Belshazzar has created a setting of sensuality and pleasure and entertainment. And then, in the middle of all of that, he decides it's time to level up, to take this party to the next level. And he says, go and get the gold and silver vessels that they took from the temple of Jehovah in Jerusalem and bring them in here. And they carried in those goblets, those gold and silver vessels that were sacred, that were used in the temple for the worship of the Most High God, that they had captured all those years ago. They brought them out of storage, and they decided, these are the things we're going to use to drink our wine out of. And not only that, not only are we going to profane them by drinking our wine and introducing these sacred items into the middle of this wild party, But we're going to toast and praise our false gods while we drink this wine out of these gold and silver vessels. It was a power move that Belshazzar was doing that day. It was a way, when they brought those in, it was a way of talking about how great you were and reminding yourselves of all the victories and all of the clout and all of the status that you had. And they brought them in and they drank from them and they toasted their own gods in a deliberate act of spiritual defiance. You have to ask yourself, what in the world is all this about? Why would they need to have a party this big? Why would he not only bring in his wives, but also the concubines? Why would he have a thousand of his nobles and elite people? And why would they be bringing in the gold and silver vessels from the temple in Jerusalem? Why does it have to be a party of this magnitude? History tells us why. You don't see this detailed out in scripture, but you learn that there's a huge shadow that's cast over the city of Babylon. Because seven to ten days prior to this party, history tells us that the Persian army had whipped the Babylonian army just 50 miles from the capital city of Babylon. And there was a huge shadow cast over the city because there was an, an enormous army of Medes and Persians that was just literally on the doorstep of the city. And no one knew what was going to happen. Are the Persians going to send in the army? Are they going to raise the city to the ground and kill all of us? Are the Persians going to, are they going to send a diplomat in? And try to negotiate peace and just make us a puppet state and let everybody live. But we have to pay tribute to the Persians now. Are they going to fall somewhere in between and send in an army and just kill all the elites and all the royal family and Belshazzar and just wipe them all out and put their own king but leave all of us alone and not burn the city down? No one knew what was going to happen. There's a huge shadow cast over the city. Everyone was in a panic. And it's in that setting that Belshazzar throws this party. It's a scene of indulgence, indifference, and irreverence. You may think, why, why, why are they doing this? Is it a sort of denial? Are they throwing this party saying, you know what? 
I don't care what's happening around me. I'm just going to live in denial. I'm just going to do my thing. I'm just going to live to the fullest and do and, and fulfill all of my desires that I want. Live however I want to. Is it, is it Belshazzar's way of playing politics and saying, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to pull all of, my, all of my noble people, all of the elites in, and I'm going to throw a party for them and try to keep them at bay so that they don't depose me. I mean, put yourself in Belshazzar's position. Everybody knows that there's a giant army of Persians outside. I mean, what would be a smart move to do? It would, I mean, it's certainly on everyone's mind. Why don't we take out this Belshazzar kid? Why don't we haul his carcass out to the Persians and say, listen, guys, our fight's not with you. We don't want you guys to burn the city down. Look, we already took care of this punk. Just take it easy on us. I mean, that's certainly in everyone's mind. That's an option that's on the table. And Belshazzar knows it. So what does he do? He throws the party to end all parties. It might be that he's just a little bit macho. He's saying, you know what? I've always lived like a king. By golly, I'm going to still live like a king. It doesn't matter who's at the doorstep and what's going on, what the timeline looks like. The truth of the matter is, Babylon today is in the same kind of frenzy. I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems like every month, the world decides to ratchet things up another notch. It seems like every other week, they decide that it's time to level up the party and do something that's even more profane and blasphemous. Does everybody, is everybody with me? That's what's happening. It's what happened back then. It's what's happening today. Because the fact of the matter is this, the closer the end gets, the closer we get to when God says it's time, the more frantic Babylon's party becomes. Because everybody knows. Daniel knows, and Belshazzar knows, and all of the nobles know, and all the partiers know that when God says it's time, it's over. Babylon will be erased in that setting that suddenly a hand appeared. I remember being a kid and there was this Bible story I, I guess, I mean we didn't have the internet, Brother Walker I mean, it couldn't have, I mean, you know it had to have been, a, it had to have been an actual physical book I know um, and I can remember the illustration, I loved the book of Daniel when I was a kid and I can remember the illustrations and I remember the illustration on the page for this story. And I can remember that plaster wall and that hand and those strange looking letters that it was writing on the wall. I can remember that. And suddenly, in the middle of this party, I mean, it is a, they are just, it's off the charts. Now they've brought in the goblets from the temple. And a hand shows up and starts writing on the wall. And the hall of the king's palace became deathly quiet as the hand wrote four words on the wall. And all of a sudden, Belshazzar's elevated position and his arrogance wasn't, ena wasn't enough to keep his face from turning pale, his knees from knocking together in terror, and his heart from skipping a beat. Belshazzar said, whoever can tell me what these words say and what these words mean, I will make him third in the kingdom. And it's at this point that the party crasher enters the room. Daniel. In the middle, this party has stopped dead in its tracks. And you have to know that Daniel was not invited to this party until there was a supernatural occurrence that nobody could explain. Daniel is invited into the room. And Daniel stood apart because Daniel's significance was not rooted in what they were doing in that room. Daniel's significance was rooted in who he was in God. Daniel's meaning and the purpose for his life was not tethered to Babylon. Daniel had painstakingly, sacrificially kept his godly identity intact. 
He'd done it not by accident. But all these years, Daniel had practiced daily prayer. Daniel had studied the word of God. And you can look back at the very first chapter of the book of Daniel and see that consistently Daniel said no to things that didn't match up with his convictions. Daniel's identity was not tethered to Babylon. Daniel stood apart. You might say Daniel was holy unto the Lord. And they called on Daniel into the party. Daniel had a life of holiness and consecration and godliness. And when the party of his world was thundering that night in Babylon, and their sin became as brazen as it had ever been, Daniel was ready to enter the room and not be absorbed into it, but to stand apart and say, thus says the Lord. I was thinking this afternoon, you imagine, imagine the emotion that Daniel must have felt. I've never thought about this. I've, I, like I said, from a child, I've read this story. And I remember the pictures. But I never thought about it until today. Imagine the emotion that Daniel must have felt when he walked in that room and he saw those gold and silver vessels. I know it's hard. I hope you're using your imagination a little bit right now because Daniel was literally living in Babylon. Literally living in Babylon. He, he was... No Jewish person had seen these gold and silver vessels for a generation. They were captured out of the temple in Jerusalem. The last person who saw these gold and silver vessels, Brother Joe, were probably the high priest that was trying to protect them. But he was cut down by a Babylonian invader right before that Babylonian invader shoved these goblets into a bag of plunder, carried it off to Babylon. It was the last person who ever saw these things that was a Jew. Now Daniel walks into the room. A generation later, Daniel didn't know if these things even existed anymore. Daniel didn't know if these things had been melted down and made into something else long ago. But Daniel walks into the room in Belshazzar's palace hall, and he sees and he knows what those are when he sees them sitting on the table. They are unmistakable. And for the first time in a generation, a Hebrew lays eyes on those sacred objects that used to be used for worship in the temple. I, I found myself wondering what Daniel's emotions must have been like in that moment, knowing that he had lived his entire life under the thumb of this oppressive regime that mocked his way of life, that saw him as backwards, and that every successive generation, even though he served one generation with ex an excellent spirit, the next generation knew nothing about him. He was unappreciated. He was seen as a backwater captive from someplace far away. And he walks in and he sees these gold and silver vessels at the head table in the middle of this feast, this party. And now Daniel has been summoned, the master of the magicians, the servant of the Most High God, lays eyes on those holy vessels, and he knows that the Babylonian world is just hours away from imploding under the weight of its own pride. When God says it's time, it's time. And this world that we live in right now and the party that's going on in this world right now is not too far off from what we read in the pages of Daniel chapter 5. Because with every week and every month, they descend more and more. We don't have time for it, but you can read and do a Bible study of Romans chapter 1 and see how it is a downward spiral and they go further. Just when you think it can't get any worse and they can't do anything more wicked, they dream up some other way to offend God and blaspheme the Holy Ghost. When God says it's time, it's time. You can look at the portrait that we have of Daniel in Daniel chapter 5. You, we know that in, by the time Daniel chapter 5 happens... That Daniel's no longer a 16-year-old kid entering into the Royal Academy in chapter 1 that has just recently been carried away. Daniel, if he was 16 years old when they carried him away from Jerusalem to Babylon, 
that by the time of Daniel chapter 5 and the pages we read tonight, Daniel is approximately 82 years old. He's in his later years. And all of the flattering speech of Belshazzar, all the rewards that Belshazzar promises, the gold and the linens, and all of the recognition, Daniel at this stage and station in life is still able to say, I am not for sale. He said it in chapter 1. He says it again in chapter, he said it when he was 16, and he says it when he's 82. He says, I am not for sale. My convictions are not for sale. My identity is not for sale. My name is not for sale. This isn't something I'm going to debate with you. I don't want any of your rewards. I don't want to tether myself to what you're doing. I belong to God. And I'm here to tell somebody tonight that if you want to live by faith in a secular world, if you're going to make it in the world that we live in now and in the days and years to come if the Lord tarries, We're going to have to take a pointer from Daniel and recognize that it's not just the younger generation of 16-year-olds that has to say no to the temptations and the nonsense of this world, but it is every generation and every age, no matter what age you are right now, that you have to still say no to the presentation of Babylon. What a tragedy it would have been For Daniel, at 16 or 17 years old, to take what we sometimes interpret as that youthful zeal that I'm going to light the whole world on fire for God. To take that zeal and to take a stand in Daniel chapter 1 and say, I'm not going to eat the king's meat. It is against my convictions. I'm not going to do it. It's going to compromise my identity. Only for Daniel, decades later, in his older years, To take on the role of an opportunist and say, yeah, that purple robe sounds pretty good. That recognition sounds pretty good. I've been living on the outside looking in for too long. Now I have a chance. I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to do something. And for 82-year-old Daniel to lose his grip. Daniel said, I'm not for sale. Moses said he wasn't for sale. Moses was dealing with all the nonsense of Korah and the rebellion in Numbers chapter 16. And it says Moses was very angry. They they started questioning Moses saying, who made you prince over us? We're just like you. You're nothing special. God didn't anoint you. Moses was very angry. And Moses said to the Lord, you know it's okay to pray to God when you're angry? It's okay. That's all right. Don't blaspheme. But it's okay. God can take it. Moses was very angry. And Moses said to God, Do not respect their offering. I've not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. Moses is saying, God, I haven't offered myself up to sale for them. I belong to you. Samuel was dealing with Israel who wanted a king. And Samuel had to remind them and God, I'm not for sale. The apostle Paul was dealing with nonsense in Acts chapter 20. Where there was people trying to undermine him and people trying to cripple his ministry and work uh, work against him in the background. And Paul says in Acts chapter 20 verse 33, he says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Paul said, I'm not for sale. And there has to be a generation today who will join their voice with the voice of Daniel and Moses and Samuel and Paul and say, in Babylon, I am not for sale. My convictions aren't for sale. My identity's not for sale. It doesn't matter. Here, I'm talking to every age group right now. I know that that's a message that if you go to a youth rally or a youth service, you'll hear that message 50% of the time because it's a message that young people need to hear. But it is a message that every age group needs to hear. Because it is just as tempting when Daniel's 82 as it is when he's 18. You need to keep up your not for sale sign. It doesn't matter what age you are. It's not just the young people who have to guard against Babylon's influence. Daniel knew what we sometimes forget. That all the riches of Babylon, 
all of the honor, all of the recognition, all the materialism. It will be gone in a snap. Because the handwriting's on the wall. The handwriting's on the wall. When God says it's time, it's going to be over. All of those things are going to disappear. Jesus said that all of the accolades and all of the riches and wealth and status, those things are some of the things that will choke out the word of God and the spirit of God in your life. Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells the parable of the sower and the seed and the soil, and then afterwards he gives the explanation of what, what the parable means. And he says in Mark chapter 4, verse 19, he says, all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth and the desire for other things so that no fruit is produced. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says the same type of thing in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. By the time the wine began to flow that evening in Belshazzar's palace, the Medo-Persian army had already overrun most of Babylonian's kingdom. Belshazzar's own father, a man named Nebuchadnezzar, had already been on the field of battle with the Persians days earlier and had fled before them and been defeated. And the enemy was literally at the gates. Babylon fell that night. They actually know what day it was. It was October 12th, 539 B.C. October 12th, 539 B.C. is the day that God said, it's time. 2,560 years, 11 months, and one day for everybody that's wondering. The Medes and the Persians diverted the water of that river. And they came into those city walls underneath the walls in the dried up riverbed of the Euphrates River. And that very night, Babylon fell because God said it was time. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. If you could, give me a few more minutes tonight. I'll make some application of what this story is all about. The handwriting is on the wall today, not just 2,560 years ago, 11 months and one day. But the handwriting is on the wall today. And maybe you've noticed, I've already mentioned it, I've noticed it and so have you, that there's a frantic uptick in wickedness and blasphemy and all kinds of sinful nonsense in this world. And there is a parade every day of indulgence, indifference, and irreverence to the things of God. Talking about the signs of the times. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation. And kingdom against kingdom. And there's going to be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all of these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then there will be many who fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The apostle John wrote to us and he said, the spirit of Antichrist is already at work. Make no mistake about it today. There is a modern Babylon and we read about it in the book of Revelation. It is a satanic system that is deceiving people and seducing people all over the world. To reject the ways of God, 
and to live for the pleasures of this life. People today, like Belshazzar in Daniel chapter 5, there's things that characterize people today, and they can even characterize us at times if we don't remain vigilant. They'll be unmindful of the lessons of the past. Belshazzar should have known better. Belshazzar should have known exactly who Daniel was. Belshazzar should have known the history of being too prideful and the God of heaven judging his ancestors because of their pride and arrogance. Belshazzar should have known the lessons of the past, but he didn't. Belshazzar was unintelligent to interpret the present. He didn't know how to read what was going on around him. He didn't know how to respond to things in the present day. And Belshazzar was unprepared for the consequences that lay out in the future. And the word of God says that that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. The book of Proverbs tells us in Proverbs chapter 29 verse 1 that he who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and without remedy. The English Standard Version says, he who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck and becomes stubborn will suddenly be broken beyond healing. That's what happened to Belshazzar. When the writing is on the wall, when the writing is on the wall, you need to prepare for the events of that very night. Hear me, I've got urgency in my spirit tonight because I see a world that's going in a direction that looks an awful lot like this party in Daniel chapter 5. And I can't help but noticing in the spirit that the handwriting is on the wall. And I can't move past this point without asking the question, are you ready for the return of the Lord? Are you ready for the systems of this world to come crashing down? Because God's going to say it's time. And then in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that very night, Belshazzar was killed. The musicians would come, Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a parable, he tells a story. And he says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And this rich man, when he saw everything seemed okay, his, his fields had yielded plentifully. His bank account looked good. His, his, his cars were running right. His house looked fine. He was keeping up with all the trends of the day. Everything looked like it was working. His fields had produced plentifully, it says. He thought within himself, isn't that the way it is? We never actually say these things out loud, do we? He said to himself, the scripture says, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crop? So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build bigger barns, and there I will store all of my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, he's saying, these are the things we don't say out loud. These are the things we say in our heart. He says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night, this night, your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I want to be rich in the things of God. I want to be rich in the things of God. I want to invest in the right things. Brothers and sisters, there's some parties I don't want to be a part of. I don't even want to be on the invite list. I don't want to be confused as somebody who might attend and is a maybe on the RSVP list. I want to be as far away from that stuff as I possibly can be. Because the scripture says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. You know, Job, Job wrote about it. Job, in all of his suffering, he had something to say. And he said, what is the hope of the godless when God cuts him off and when God takes away his life? What if God says it's time? 
this very night. Would you stand with me? I'm telling you tonight that there are rumblings outside of the city walls. And there's been some battles being fought. And there's an army marching this way. There's trouble coming. There's trouble coming. I'm not praying on fear tactics tonight. Because if you're right with the Lord, there's a glorious hope. And there's a glorious inheritance. But if you are not rich in the things of God, you have have reason for concern tonight. Because the handwriting is on the wall. And God's about to say it's time. Let's lift up our hands in this place right now. These altars are open. We need to respond to the Holy Ghost right now. Come on, somebody, right now. You need to step out of where you are and you need to make a move toward God. We don't know the day or the hour when God might say it's time. Come on, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't drama right now. The handwriting is on the wall. I don't know what party you've been a part of. I don't know where you've been looking for significance at. If you've been looking for significance in money, if you've been looking for significance in a relationship, if you've been looking for significance in drugs or something that you're addicted to, you can find all the significance you need in Jesus Christ. You can have peace that passes understanding in this place tonight. Come on, I know that this world's in a panic and I know that there's a frantic attempt to to cover up the worry that this world is in. The world is is in a terrible condition right now. And it seems like every day that goes by, there's more attempts to just cover it up with more sin and more deceitfulness and more lies. Come on, person of God. Come on, child of God. Cry out to the Lord right now. Come on, somebody. Somebody whose identity, Lord. I'm going to stand apart. Come on, come on, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Come on. Come on, what if this is our last chance to respond? What if this is the night? What if they dry up that river tonight? What if everything changes tomorrow? Come on, would you cry out to God? I can't want it for you. All I can do is present it tonight. Come on, the handwriting is on the wall. Won't somebody see? Won't somebody take a break? from the entertainment from the noise from the music from the wine from the intoxication of Babylon won't somebody take a break and just glance up at that wall for a moment and just see that there's a hand writing on the wall it's writing on the wall of your life right now you're in the balances right now God is weighing things out in people's souls. I give myself away. Come on, you ought to find a place to get real with God. Find a place to bury your head for a minute. And have an honest moment with God. And say, God, I have to be right. I have to be right, God. I have to be with you. 
I want to be ready when the Lord says it's time. We don't know when it's going to be. Anyone that thinks they do is confused. You know, the Lord can do anything He wants whenever He wants. And just as easily as He can say it's time and He can start to wrap things up in this world as we know it, He can also look at your life and say it's time for you to have that opportunity that you've been praying about. He can look at your family and say it's time for them to come to God. If we're sensitive to what he's doing, he might drop something in your spirit and say, you know what, it's time to have that conversation with that person because their heart's ready. We, we have to be sensitive to the spirit of the Lord and the voice of the Father because there's, I'm, I am convinced that there are times throughout almost every one of our days where God is ordaining something and he's saying it's time. It's time for this. It's time for that. And we'll, we'll be confused because we don't see what's happening, and God does. But if we'll be sensitive to the Holy Ghost, we can be in sync with God's timing. I want to be in sync with God's timing, not just about His return and, and how He's going to wrap things up, but I want to be in sync with the timing of God every day. Because there's just no telling what God would do if we would just be sensitive to what he's doing around us and just say, Lord, I'm not going to pray to try to force your hand to do something that you're not already doing. But God, let me be aware of what you're already doing. God, let me be aware of what you're doing. Lead me into those things that, you're, that you've already, God already has things in motion. And we get reminded of that sometimes whenever we look around and it seems like, well, God's doing something and it just blows our mind and we realize he's been doing it all along and I've just been doing my own thing and not paying any attention and he's been telling me it's time sometimes we just have to slow down long enough quiet things down long enough to really detect his voice and to get a sense of what he's doing around us Let's lift up our hands right now. Lord, we thank you, God, for your presence, for your power. Lord, for the witness of your spirit that's been here with us this evening. Lord, what a precious group of saints that's gathered here tonight.